All right, what do you have today? Uh, I've just got some clips on the gigantic banking crisis. That is the biggest story. Just like narrative angles. I have some on that too. Uh, I also have a little bit of election update. Okay. And I have... I have uh, a clip from South by Southwest, uh, just a just a Biden administration official praising China. Okay, and uh, a cute little story about Peta attacking a crab restaurant, Krabby Peta instead of Krabby Patty. I'm calling it Krabby Peta. Sounds good. So that's what I have. All right, let's do it. Okay, people, let's begin. Liftoff! We have liftoff! Hello, everybody! Hello, Jeremy! Hello, Mr. Marcus! Are you ready to be baited? Are you ready to bait people, Jeremy? Am I baiting people or being baited? We are baiting people with the truth. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Good! Because you are co-hosting the Truth Bait Podcast! It's Tuesday, March 14th, 2023, and this is episode 7. With me always is the, oh, you know, I had an even better intro for you, and, I, and, I, and I've stumbled over it, so now I just want to say the best documentary filmmaker I've ever had the pleasure of working with, Jeremy Siegel. That can't even be close to true. No, it is true. It actually is true. I'm a selective editor. <laughs> I'm, uh, let's see. Well, yeah, did you want to introduce me? You are Andrew Marcus. And uh, I have been privileged to work with you for many years. What am I? Learning almost everything I know. <laughs> that is definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, knew, I noticed that was not true when you blew past me, knowing a lot more than me. But uh, yes, I'm Andrew Marcus, and I have, a, an even, I have a different clap. Hold on. Mine's more like a rock and roll clap. I got a concert. Yeah. People with skinny jeans, long hair. All right. Well, yes, you're listening to the Truth Bay Podcast, where we deconstruct America's uh, propaganda, civil war, and reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image, Jeremy. Is that right? I don't know. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying. What we say goes. <laughs> We're trying. So I give a big welcome today to, we have a lot of listeners in... Chicago. We have a lot of listeners in Wisconsin. I see a lot of listeners in Florida. Jeremy, in actually, California. I might be most of those listeners in Chicago. You know, I start when we post the the podcast. I then start downloading it in different apps. 
to test it and to make sure that we have some numbers on the board. But thank you. So you're fudging the numbers? Uh, No, 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 no. I'm testing to make sure that it works on every possible podcast uh, application platform that's out there. And we're in a lot of places now, Jeremy. We're up on Apple Podcasts. We're up on Spotify. We're on Google Chromecast. We're on Samsung. We're on a couple of services. I don't even know where they are or what their names are, but we have been fed out to a whole bunch of different services. Basically, a bunch of censorable platforms where we'll be removed from eventually. That is correct. (laughs) We are set up and I'm just waiting for us to be knocked down. All right. Well, actually, how many of those platforms will be out of business after the banking uh, collapse? Uh, Did you see many on the list? I didn't see Apple or Spotify or anybody there, just uh, some of the other big tech companies. It looks like, though, there are so many companies connected to these companies that you don't even realize. There's a lot of back-end business that gets done at these banks, and if they're now locked up and locked out, there's going to be a lot of payroll issues. There's uh, That's why they needed to be bailed out. Bailed out. Can they print that fast? Bailed out. They don't need to print. They add digits in the computer, and they're good. (laughs) As long as everybody (laughs) can get their bits. Um, Do you think the people are panicking? I think I saw, so kick, I guess, getting into all this, I had some few red flags when this all started last week and one of those things and probably a lot of people saw were a bunch of still images and photographs that were trickling out through different media channels of depositors which is a new vocab word for everybody to focus on depositors standing outside of their bank the silicon valley bank either in California or one of them was in New York. I found it weird when I saw one of those pictures from in front of the New York branch. All of those depositors were like taking selfies and smiling as they were waiting in line to get their supposedly lost money. Ooh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I saw it all around. There were, it was, there were a couple of photos. They must have been Reuters or somebody, so they got picked up by every outlet. Uh, they weren't exactly taking selfies, but they were standing in line smiling and, you know, just kind of like, haha, this is, you know, funny, you what know, whatever. What were they in line for anyway? I, I, I sort of don't understand. Were they going to get physical cash out? Were they told they could get anything out? I mean, I don't, I don't understand what they I were waiting for. I think what they were trying to do was to go into the bank because I don't know if they couldn't access their account anymore online or or what but that's where part of it is is interesting to me was there was an awful lot of imagery coming out conveying this run on the banks you know there's going to be a run on the banks well you had you did have people i heard stories uh uh, and I, you know, I have this clip from South by Southwest, but but it wasn't related to this. But that there were anecdotes of 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 high, you know, big tech people uh, at South by Southwest who suddenly had no access to any cash, ATM, or credit cards. They were basically dead in the water, trapped in Vegas. So yeah, and that that makes sense. And I bet if that's happening, you know, uh, in Silicon Valley, that there, you know, you're going to have people who will, I guess, maybe you know, go to the bank because they don't know what else to do. They, you know, what else do you do? 
So what seemed to have triggered it, you know, was Peter Thiel had sold, he had sold off a bunch of his stock in the company and uh, Peter Thiel is like the founder was of PayPal or something like right, that. Right, and he, and he skipped seat to a, a, a bunch of different companies and he, and he had all of those different companies banking at Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and the president or chairman of Silicon Valley Bank dumped like $3.4 million worth of shares just three weeks ago. You know what, though? So that's the, just to cover the lawsuits. So, <laughs> He's going to so need the, money for his attorneys. So these were a couple of of signals or indicators. And Peter Thiel went on Twitter basically telling people to move their money. So when did to he me, do that? It, it was, I think, like last Wednesday. Last right Wednesday? Because this, this story really didn't start breaking until Friday. Right. Well, it took people a couple days to see the tweet and then panic and then go stand in line for pictures with Reuters photographers to show the run on the banks. Oh, you know what it was, Jeremy, the people who noticed, the people who follow Peter Thiel, they probably have their money in that bank too. And it took a couple of days for people to get their money out before they started talking about it. Possibly. So some of those things to me look like there was an effort to create this perception of danger and fear to drive people out uh, to stand in line. Then, <clears throat> you know, is your, course, do- is your dog trying to get his money out of the bank right now? I think so. <laughs> he's, think he's there are people here for their money. <laughs> <laughs> they found me. The real reason the bank failed <laughs> is I hacked into it. Um, so, so people standing out there, you've got this you know, the last thing they want is to create panic. And basically, they've got people out there seeming, in my mind, to intentionally create panic. I don't know if that's the case or not, but why would that be? And I think, you know, the answer is you if you get people to a certain place psychologically, then doing what they did over the weekend with the bailout, you know, is acceptable, tolerated, and then you have all your different narratives that flow out from there to uh, keep people spinning around in circles. And so, wait, you are going, you are right out of the box. You are saying that this is some kind of an op that they want, that they're trying to foment panic because they have a move they're trying to to do. Yes, for sure. There's, there's a, I, I think this was all scripted. What was it going to happen at Silicon Bank first? That I don't know. But look, is this a surprise to anybody? Everybody for the last two years has been running around thinking about, you know, collapse, collapse, collapse. And nobody, it's just like in 2008 or the dot com bubble, you know, where everybody is kind of knows it's coming, but doesn't seem like it's here yet. So uh, we'll just keep going along with business as usual and do our shopping and whatever. Then when it comes, everybody acts like this is the biggest surprise in the history of the world. Well, I think that's human nature. People can't see disaster until it's right on top of them. And then they're shocked, even if it was coming a mile away. Do you have any content that, that, that supports 
what you're saying that that this is contrived, not contrived. It's actually happening, but that it's planned. This is a planned destruction. No, I think what I have are I think what I see is some of the narratives that are that are coming forth from this and all of them keep us, you know, again in that sort of dialectical battleground where nobody's looking at the real issue or the yeah, real This is going to be interesting. It. I want to see if I have a couple of clips too. I want to see if you and I have come up with the same clips. Ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, Jeremy and I have no idea what each other are going to play. We have a rough idea of the topics we're going to cover and somewhat of the uh, somewhat of an idea of, of what direction we might be headed, but we like to keep it fresh, even for us and, you know, as well as for you. So that is, it, it, this is going to be interesting to see if we overlap at all. Now, the first thing I found that I thought was pretty interesting is this representative congressman out of North Carolina. I've never heard of him before. His name is Jeff Jackson. Um, but Jeff Jackson, to me, seems like he has, like his role here is, or at least he's fulfilling a role, whether or not it's assigned to him or not, is presenting the official narrative. It's about 2 a.m., and I just wanted to bring you up to speed on everything that's happened tonight. This is on his Twitter um, and it's a video that looks like it's produced for TikTok or something, and it's really slick, and it's it cuts off in the middle of sentences and starts up again, and it's really like persuasive. Because you're probably seeing a lot of headlines right now. Earlier tonight, there was an emergency Zoom call with several hundred members of Congress. It was convened by the Treasury Department, and we were given about 15 minutes notice. It was literally on regular Zoom. I was sent a link, I clicked the link, and most of Congress was there. Throughout this video, it He sounds has, like he's reading a hostage letter. Right. And throughout, you've seen videos produced like this also, where it's like, we're really telling you how things are. Everything we say is 100% true. And you can tell this by the way I'm talking and the way we make slick edits and cuts in the middle of my sentences. And you can see the words, every single word I say is being flashed up individually on the screen. So we can really program you to hear and accept this message and narrative. That's not normal, but neither is the situation. The purpose of the meeting was to announce extraordinary steps that will now be taken to secure our financial system. You're going to hear from the president today, along with leaders of both parties, but here's what's happening. Three days ago, we had the second largest bank failure in American history. It happened because there was a bank in California called Silicon Valley Bank. It lost a lot of money, causing a lot of its customers to get scared and try to withdraw their money, and it caused a run on the bank. So this is the the real simple form <clears throat> you're going to hear from the president today you're going to hear from other leaders but here's what's happening i'm going to tell you right now what's really going on so the federal government through the fdic stepped in and closed the bank here's the problem Typically, your deposits in a bank are only protected up to $250,000. But the vast majority of customers at this bank had deposits more than that because this bank specialized in startups and small businesses. And the uncertainty about what would happen to customers with more than $250,000 in deposits started to spread to other banks. And okay, and that was, that was, we saw that fear coming out. 
started with Silicon Valley, started to spread to others. And that was over the weekend. There was Signature Bank was another one where it started. And he's presented now the need to respond. New York Bank failed last night. Others have started flashing red. Basically, people with money at smaller banks were getting scared and transferring their money into bigger banks, and we were in the early stages of a domino effect. Which brings us back to the emergency Zoom call. All the depositors at the Silicon Valley Bank will be made whole. Same with the bank in New York. We're going to pay for that with the fund that banks already pay into, not with taxpayer money. And the people being protected are just the depositors. These are mainly businesses that otherwise would have to close and lay off thousands of people because they chose the wrong bank. We're not protecting the management or the people who own stock in the bank. Right now, every step being taken has one purpose, to make sure this domino effect ends now. We caught it early enough so that taxpayers won't have to pay. We can pass the bill on to the banks, as long as this panic stops here. There's going to be a huge political debate now about bank regulation and how much risk we're willing to let them take going forward. Good. Clearly, we have to make some changes. But today is about not sinking the boat that we are all in. You- okay, so that was... <laughs> you know what, real quick, do you know who that sounds like? <sighs> However difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. That's Stephen Hawking's. Oh, yeah. He's kind of a cross between Stephen Hawking and the speak and spell itself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I said Stephen Hawking's. I'm sorry, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he really is the human speaking spell. This the rep Jeff Jackson. <laughs> yeah. So I I I saw this video and I just found it fascinating because it was it was, all of his followers and anyone and he's got a lot of followers for a congressman. You know, just so thankful that he put this information out there that he just tells it like it is and it's so clear and concise and uh, that's why I'm calling it the official narrative yeah that sounded very officially produced and basically it sounds exact if you heard biden's speech he is reiterating everything in just like one hair below the reading level that biden speaks at and you know to make sure that everybody understands it clearly (laughs) wait a second nobody could understand anything that biden said did you watch (laughs) that for me by the way because i did not watch that I did. I've Thank got a you. clip of a little bit of it, um, not the whole thing. And I want to thank you for watching that for me. I appreciate that. It, it, it was short. It was short. I, but I'll take the credit that you're giving. I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. So that was what you were talking about when we first got on today, and and this is part of that official narrative, is that this was basically, we had to act to stop the bleeding. We had to prevent the regular people who just made a mistake of putting their money into the wrong bank. 
And he says, thanks to my, thanks to the actions of my administration, the banking system is sound, but he forgot, you know, thanks to the actions of my administration in the last two years, the banking system is completely unsound. Of course, not just him. It's been 50 years, but no, and that's, and I think that's really the overall, you know, the big problem with all of this is it's, it's, it is the banking system. There's all of these other narratives, you know, around that people want to focus on. There's this, which sells everybody on the idea that we needed to do it. And that even comes through, uh, Fox News is pushing that one. Here's Charles Payne um, with Dana Perino, who was the White House press secretary for George Bush uh, earlier this century. This was not about bailing out small accounts, regular Americans. The mean bank account in this country is $41,000. You want to go by, uh, 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 so if you look at, for instance, the average bank account for someone without a high school diploma, 9,000 bucks. Bachelor's degree, 79,000 bucks. This is another bailout of the elites. This is a bailout of Silicon Valley, the same Silicon Valley that just brought a Sam Bankman Freed. The Silicon Valley that for 20 years grew companies privately to exorbitant valuations, outrageous valuations, and then foisted them on the public at even higher valuations. Mm-hmm. They have made they have made so much money. I mean, only only the Saudi Arabian princes can, can <laughs> deal with the amount of money that they've made. Who do you think are who do you think bids against each other for the world's biggest yacht? Mm-hmm. Who oh. bought the Maltese Falcon? I mean, this is what I'm talking about. So can I ask? Oh, Charles Payne is passionately for the non-elite here. Do you hear him bashing Silicon Valley? Yes. Okay, that's a narrative there. This is Silicon Valley. We're going to bash them. They're well, taking fun. Make, you have to imagine they're, they're, a big chunk of their market, though, is outraged, and he's just feeding the red totally. meat to the market. Totally, totally. He's right now. He's like the voice of reason for everybody that doesn't want another bailout. Right? That's okay. But the keep but it's going to happen mind, anyway. <laughs> keep in mind that his this is the blame here is focused on Silicon Valley, and now here's Dana Perino to come back down to earth. Do something yeah. So later in the show, we're going to talk to a woman who has a small business. She's 32 years old. She has three children. She runs a small business for Etsy. Over the weekend, they get emails from Etsy saying, we're not sure we're going to be able to pay you on Monday. So I, I totally hear you on right. all the other things, but there are some people who are saying, why am I at risk? I'm a small business owner. She got laid off during COVID. She figured out a way to pull herself up. She's got she's a successful business, but she is afraid now that maybe everything is going to be okay. But they were told on Friday, we might not be able to pay you Monday. Well, it, here's the thing. If, if I do business with someone and they can't pay me, like as a conduit, Etsy's a conduit. You go in there and they just connect the buyer yes. and seller. For some reason that they, that money is held up because of something else, that's a red flag. I'm getting out of Etsy. I don't want to do business with them anymore, period. Uh, but again, we, we keep hijacking those small stories to protect the people that keep wrecking our economy. Okay, boom. Who are the people that keep wrecking right, our that's economy? That's a misdirection. That's a big misdirection. Silicon Valley, the people that keep wrecking our economy? Silicon Valley, I, I agree with the maverick of Wall Street. They're a bunch of snakes. 
but they're not the people that keep wrecking our economy. <laughs> no, they're the people that have made the cold calculation that they can that they better go along to get along. They're they're uh, co-beneficiaries. Right, that's exactly right. But this is not they didn't architect this. They are just they're in the they're playing the game that that exists. And then you had Dana Perino come in there with, yeah, but what about this woman who's a mom who, you know, makes arts and crafts or T-shirts or whatever she does and just has this small business on Etsy and she gets a letter that she might not get her money this week right, or whatever. Right, that's meant to panic her. Well, and it's 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 meant to give us sympathy, right? It's meant to program us that, you know, something had to be done. We had to prevent that domino effect. We had to prevent, stop the bleeding, and this is what we had to do. And then, uh, you know, pain goes back to focusing on Silicon Valley again. Um, I thought that Glenn Beck kind of has a good answer to this. Um, as far as what we're looking at with the way that the bank is functioning. See, this bank loans money to these companies, these tech companies, and they loan them out venture capital. And so they loan them the money to operate and to be able to do everything they can over the next year. Well, they've got to put that money somewhere. So the bank loans it out. It's basically the depositor's money. They loan the, that savings account of yours, per se, uh, and loan it to this venture capital firm the, or the, uh, or the uh, tech startup. And the tech startup then says, where do I put all this money? And Silicon Valley Bank says, oh, just in my other hand, just give me that money back and we'll invest it in mutual funds for you. We'll invest it in very safe things like BlackRock. So they did. And the tech companies thought they were safe because it's invested in very secure places like BlackRock. Except what the bank didn't say, except in fine print, is that all the money that you had invested in BlackRock was not yours anymore. It was, it was uh, under the name Silicon Valley Bank. So when people started to call and say, hey, BlackRock, my money's safe, they said, you don't have any money. Your money's invested in Silicon Valley Bank, and because their name is on it, they're counting that as an asset. And now that asset has to go to pay creditors. So they lost their money. This is a giant shell game. We have created nothing but a shell game. And the Fed is the one that's causing this collapse by the raising of the rates. But if you don't raise the rates, what happens? Infl so you cut him off. I think he was going to say inflation. Oh, <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> inflation. Sorry. Um, he's the only one I've heard say it, that it's the Fed. Uh, and you hear it at, there's a good analyst I listen to a lot called Maverick of Wall Street. And they're, you know, the Fed is what doesn't come out in all of these narratives. It's Silicon Valley. It's your deposits are insured up to 250000 And now I, it's I've whether got, or not. And I've got something on that. You want to hear, you want to hear some of the other excuses? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, you see this a lot out there. It is because of wokeness, right? Right. I've got a few of these. Yeah. So here's Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, He posted something to his own Twitter account. What do you have? is a financial institution, a bank, that lends money to other companies that is now failing because depositors are pulling out money because they don't trust the solvency of the bank. We've seen that movie before in the 2008 financial crisis, and we're seeing it again, not necessarily at systemic scale, but in the scale of this one bank in Silicon Valley now. And here's an interesting question to ask, okay? I see this bank proclaiming a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and environmental, social, and governance factors. I'm looking at my computer screen here at uh, Silicon Valley Bank committing $5 billion to sustainable finance and carbon-neutral operations to support a healthier planet. Now, it seems like sustainable finance wasn't all that sustainable, and a healthier planet did not result in a healthier balance sheet for this bank. But here's the question to ask. Were they or were they not using ESG factors when determining the credit worthiness of people who they were lending to? That is a question. I, I don't know the answer for sure. But I have a funny feeling that if regulators and policymakers use their investigatory power to get to the bottom of this, the answer they're going to find is yes. And what does that mean? It means they were using a non-economic factor, environmental and social factors, to still make a financial decision of who to actually lend to and who not to lend to. Now, doesn't he make a point? Well, he makes a point, but I would call it a deceptive one. And the reason it's deceptive, and a lot of people now, this is one of the other narratives, and I've got some clips to go along with it too. Um is it's not why this bank failed. The, this bank, but isn't it part of the systemic problem that has taken hold uh, above and beyond what our Fed is doing? And I and I agree with that. But isn't this also another component of the systemic failure that they no longer have as their top uh, uh, legal priority? to return value to the shareholders. They now have this ESG garbage as their top priority. Ownership uh, is gone under that circumstance. It's, it's put to second-tier status. I don't think it is. I th- I think it's still You don't think has- it's done that way, or you don't think that that's... No, I think that a lot of these banks are making investments in things like that. I think that's why they're being bailed out but it's not what's causing the financial trouble that they're having you don't think it's a component of it this woke capitalism not in this case in the in this sil in this uh silicon valley bank they were way uh over invested in u.s treasuries that were paying like one or two percent yields and those same treasuries now are paying four and five percent yields so the value of their treasuries were you know i don't know maybe a half or three quarters of what they were worth when they bought them yeah but i have a feeling that was all part of the woke program but since you brought that up let me play this this is clayton morris on redacted because he talks about exactly that and i think it gets closer to the heart of the truth that you're getting at, and i think you you're both right 
Act. So this is all orchestrated under both Trump and the Biden regulators. You know, you can blame Biden, you can blame Trump, doesn't you can blame Obama, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's a distraction because under both Trump and Biden, regulators and the Fed encouraged banks to hold treasury bonds. They both did which lose enormous value when interest rates rise. So unlike 2008, when all of these mortgage loans were causing the problem and the banks defaulted on them, this time they're failing because of rapidly rising interest rates that the Fed controls. So the Fed controls these, right? And the inflation that they created is the cause of these bank failures. Again, all orchestrated and controlled. And this morning, Congressman Tom Massey, Thomas Massey, tweeted something that I think tells us everything we need to know. Take a look at this tweet. He said, just got off a Zoom meeting with the Fed, Treasury, FDIC, House, and the Senate. A Democrat senator essentially asked whether there was a program in place to censor information on social media that could lead to a run on the banks. So to which I got up and ran around screaming around the house that should terrify everybody. And that's what it's designed to do It's designed to get people like her to and I don't have her name, but to to jump up and down screaming with their hair on fire. Right. But here's the problem. If they wanted to suppress this, it would already be suppressed if social media, Google and all of this big, you know, deep state cabal wanted this message of bank runs suppressed it would be they don't we wouldn't want, be allowed to do youtube videos but on they it. want the power to suppress it that's oh, yeah, what's that's scarier no. so she makes a point there but i think that uh i think that you're you're on to the truth you're onto the truth bait here that this is engineered uh it was intentional they are they are intentionally crashing the banking system I don't think it's going to stop with these two banks. You've had what? Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And uh, this is a controlled demolition to bring in the new CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency. And actually, I'm going to, I need to, uh, I know that I'm in tinfoil hat territory here. So let me put on my tinfoil hat. Hang on. Okay. There, it's on. But yeah, I think that that's what I think that's what's going on. I think that they this is a controlled demolition, and the question I go back to is with that with just that woke component that Vivek Ramaswamy uh, puts forward is is that a diversion? I think you would argue that that is a diversion that the that the play to wokeness is a diversion. I wonder if it isn't just a you know he's running for president he's running as a as anti-woke uh in large part and so it's natural that he would gravitate towards that i mean he started an entire uh uh, uh fund uh on what is it called an investment fund uh based on being anti-esg or anti-woke so he would naturally gravitate towards that um I, I, and is there utility in hanging wokeness out to dry you know if you think about it the gop and the democratic establishment they they use wokeness but they don't believe wokeness okay that's my belief and so this actually provides them a really good opportunity to smack woke in the head a little bit and damage them and dirty them up as they do this process well glenn beck talked about the woke aspect also and 
he he actually reads a a bit from the New York Times and and that sort of got me thinking and that's what got me thinking along this line. So I'm going to play it for you. It's not that long. But here's something you probably didn't know. Um, the New York Times is reporting today uh, that whew, good thing this bank has been saved. Silicon Valley Bank was in many ways a climate bank. When you have the majority of the market banking through one institution, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. Community solar projects appeared to be specially hard hit. Silicon Valley Bank said uh, it led or participated in 62% of financing deals for community solar projects. Their smaller scale solar projects also often serve lower income residential areas. Don't worry. Don't worry. The Fed is covering all of this. The devastation comes at a critical moment. Uh, it is central to cut the greenhouse gases that are dangerously heating the planet, says the New York Times. The federal government depends on climate tech companies to develop the innovations needed. This is going to set the climate change industry down and set them back for years. So you've got, I think, two angles on the woke side of this. Because you've got foxes out there. Um, it started with an interview with the founder of Home Depot, and he went uh, railing on these companies for being woke and having woke investment strategies. And then that's been trickling out through a bunch of their commentary on this. And then you've got New York Times writing about it, like Beck reads there, and the New York Times angle is, you know, that's why you have to save this bank because of these types of investment strategies. Meanwhile, that's what we're all talking about. We're talking about it was a woke bank. They deserve to fail because they were woke. It was a woke bank. They deserve to succeed because they were woke. They deserve to be bailed out. And like Fox said, we have to, you know, save the uh, small business owner on Etsy so we can get everybody to kind of be numb right now and just watch it happen. But nobody's actually, again, looking at the, well, I can't say nobody, but nobody in these circles and mainstream media is looking at the Federal Reserve, the fractional reserve banking system that we have, the, the, these systems that were set up that allow banks to uh, hold only 10% of what their deposits are in their bank to begin with. So they, they're already set up to fail if there is any kind of run on the bank or any kind of stress on it. So everything is fragile to begin with. And then when something actually doesn't go right, like this bank right here, and I think you have a, an interesting take on it with the digital currency agenda, is that this is something we've all seen coming but not really knowing exactly how it's going to unfold. Do I need and now? Do you want me here to get, it is. Do you want me to here? I'm going to get the tinfoil out for you too. Okay. I should have brought one myself. Here, I'm fashioning it. Hang on. Ow, ow, ow! I just cut myself on the edge. Don't you hate that when you cut yourself on the edge? The tinfoil. Yeah one one would think this was easily preventable 
especially given the fact that the guy who who was the chairman of the bank who sold all that stock also sat on the San Francisco Federal Reserve. Oh, the same guy was supposed to oversee and regulate his own bank. Huh. It's funny how this stuff goes. Well, who else is going to know how to regulate banks better than the bankers themselves? So I think that the woke, I think the woke aspect of it is a total distraction. It's being used to reinforce the narrative of the necessity to act on the side that supports that agenda. And it's being used on the other side to deflect from proper blame and appropriate blame and responsibility for why this is actually occurring. And then to your point um, that there's something else going on here um, and we wonder how are they going to get us to the point of accepting or starting to use their digital currency. Uh, yeah, I would say that that's a good, uh, a good theory. And, you know, I don't know if that's exactly how it's going here, but I know that what they're telling us is keeping us caught in paradigms and narratives that are not getting at the real heart of the issue. I think that's definitely true. And, and if you'd like, I'm going to take it to 11. Okay. I'm going to, I want to, I want to just put the full conspiracy theory to work. And this is going to, this is going to shock you. What if, what if all of that, what if the wokeness, what if, what if the central bank digital currency is all a distraction itself, Jeremy? What if there's something even bigger that they're distracting from? Let me ask you a question, Jeremy. This was an incredibly connected bank. So was Signature Bank. Now, a lot of famous people, a lot of very famous woke people in the woke industry, the leaders of woke industry, of woke Inc., all had their millions and millions and millions of dollars there. This was a crossroads of woke money and China, right? All these solar panels you're talking about, where are they made? These mm -hmm. are Chinese companies that are also invested in this bank, have their money in this bank. Who else do we know? in woke political circles who has connections with the Chinese. Donald Trump. <laughs> Close. <laughs> the guy who's uh, living in Donald's old house. <laughs> Ted Cruz. Yeah, that would be Joe Biden. And, you know, I, I, I was I saw a clip on Fox News of Congressman James Comer, and this clip just got my conspiracy juices going. What if this is a cover-up? Well, we've had a very good two weeks, Maria. We are finally having people cooperate with us. I think we all know the Biden administration stonewalling. Janet Yellen, Yellen is stonewalling, not turning over the, the bank violations. But fortunately, since we've last spoken, we actually have bank records in hand.
And they're talking about Hunter Biden. We have individuals who are working with our committee. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've met with either these individuals personally or with their attorneys. Uh, and th that would be four individuals who had uh, ties in with the Biden family on their various schemes around the world. So now we have in hand documents that show just exactly how the Biden family was getting money uh, from the Chinese Communist Party. And, and I will tell you, it's it's as bad as we thought. Any chance that Mr. President or any of his family members hold accounts at this bank? Funny that nobody in media has even bothered to ask. Yeah, that would be interesting. Or any of the companies that he's involved with. Maybe they've got accounts there. Maybe he's bailing himself out. Could Maybe it's a cover-up. Maybe they're seizing these seizing the banks and the documents they're in. Could be. And what have you learned from these bank records that you've gotten? These are Hunter Biden's bank records. These are these are people affiliated with uh, the different uh, businesses, so to speak, uh, that the Biden family w was involved in with respect to this instance China. And what it appears is there were a lot of transfers from account to account to account, many transfers on the same day. Uh, that's probably one reason they received so many suspicious activity reports, which are the bank violations for the banks. The banks would look at this like well, they must be laundering money or something. I and by the way, I went looking for information on which banks flagged the Bidens. I can't find it. I can I find a ton of references to the fact that they were flagged. Can't find a single instance of anybody naming the banks that flagged them. I found that very suspicious. I don't necessarily think they were laundering money, Maria. It looks to me like they were trying to hide the source of that money, and the source was the Chinese Communist Party. So uh, my question to the Bidens when I get that opportunity is, if you're conducting legitimate business activities, uh, why so many transfers? Why, why wow. were you trying to uh, hide the source of that money? That music was in their clip. Uh, so I don't, and I'm not saying none of these things are either or. I think a number of these, these things could be going on at the same time. It's very conspiratorial, I know, but I sure would like to know the truth behind where they had their accounts and where they were flagged. Yeah, and it certainly could have, uh, even if it's not connected to either of these banks, although Signature Bank might be the one to look at there because, you know, Barney Frank is is he the chairman or he's on the board of that bank also? <laughs> you want to hear what they were doing at Signature Bank? This is this is up on Twitter as an example of their wokeness. These are the kinds of videos they were producing, and I guess instead of working, or maybe they made them do this in overtime. Ruthless, so many useless meetings. Some banks will sell the souls, some banks just feel real old. I wish they were so. But I still wake up, I still have the dream, oh Lord, I still know what I stand for. So it's religiously <laughs> themed, they're wow. singing to the Lord, and it's all about their diversity and how they're not one of these old stale banks that have sold out. They've sold their souls, that's the line at the beginning. They might think they're singing to the Lord. Well, I think it's intentionally they're mocking people with that um yeah barney frank who was the namesake of the dodd frank 
banking, banking reform regulations. Uh, he's, he's on, uh, he was, sig- I don't think he, the bank exists anymore. Signature bank. <laughs> I think they all got fired. Board. So, uh, interesting that he couldn't, uh, keep them from falling under, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know all the answers to this, but you got to try to look through the propaganda and the narratives that are here. And, you know, I would look into fractional reserve banking. I would look at the Federal Reserve and look at how this monetary system runs. And I am going to make a reading recommendation to people. Uh, you can get an excellent, excellent education on the financial system in this country that you've probably not gotten anywhere else before from The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is an amazing book written by G. Edward Griffin. And uh, I know Ed Griffin. He's a great guy. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. And the it's a it's a big book. It's like 500 or 700 pages. Uh, Let's put but, a link to it in the show description. Yeah, it's written so well. That for this type of topic, it's actually an exciting read because he really uncovers. And he actually went to Jekyll Island when he was writing this book, doing research, because Jekyll Island is an island off the coast of Georgia where all these bankers and J.P. Morgan back in the early 1900s went and actually came up with the Federal Reserve System and then went and lobbied and got it put into law so that they could create the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a private bank. It's not part of the government. Meanwhile, if we create the digital currency, doesn't that basically end the Federal Reserve? That puts all the control back in the Treasury. Or maybe they're going to, they'll say that the power is vested in the Federal Federal Reserve, but it it fundamentally changes what they are and what they do. They're just, you know, pushing buttons at that point. That I don't know, because I, I know that the, that the Federal Reserve Bank is not about to give up any of its power and control over anybody and the, and the monetary system. So um, it might end up looking like that, and I'll bet you that's how they're going to sell it, <laughs> mm-hmm. that the government is going to get control for the people, but that's not how it's going to be. And that's how this was sold. So I definitely recommend that book. Because I'm not a financial expert, I think our our thing is kind of looking at the media and the analysis here and and the narratives. But I can't tell you what is exactly going on with the economy. But if you want to learn more about uh, about it, this book will open your eyes big time. Uh, here's where I would here's where I would leave it. I think that I would say that what we might be witnessing is the final death spiral of the economy that we have known. There is nothing that the government can do at this point. They can't tamp down inflation except to raise rates. They cannot raise rates without destroying all of these companies. They don't want to destroy all of these companies because then they'd have to admit that we've come to the end. And they are basically trying to do everything they can to paper over it. Uh, and everybody's getting their last few dollars out, all of the big investors, all of the big elite investors and traders and all the people that are part of it uh they're getting their their band-aid put on right now here's your chance and uh for everybody else all the small people out there all the little people 
get ready. Invest in, I think you invest in things that are real, not things that are fiat. Like real solar panels and windmills? <laughs> you have real property, real <laughs> gold, maybe. I don't know. And we do not give financial we advice. Are not we are not financial, financial advisors. advisors. We are not giving financial <laughs> advice. giving financial uh, advice. But just, these are the things you I could think about. invest in. Wait, something not yet. They could not yet. Not in. yet. They can't invest in that yet. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. Because I want to talk about one more thing related to what you were saying. You're saying that in this case, you know, we're all uh, people who are not on the left are looking at the woke narrative as devastating for the left. And you're looking at it differently. You're saying, no, 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 no. They are using the woke narrative to to uh, signal to each other that this is something we have to do. We've got to do this bailout. So in a sense, you're saying, no, everybody, you're misunderstanding this. The woke narrative is working in their favor. Do I have that correct? Absolutely. And as long as we're talking about it, then we're in the dialectical attack we're in the diet we're in the 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 binary we're for woke or we're against woke and we're saying woke investments cause this and they're saying right, we need you, to support they're woke. using it to help themselves and i've got something that 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 supports that jeremy so i think you're on i think you're very much onto something you had uh this was before all of this news broke or before it was really in the mainstream uh, CNN's Caitlin Collins asks is interviewing Vivek Ramaswamy, and it's it's basically it's one of these interviews where it's like a profile. Uh, I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy almost has to be an alien to to, this, to what's left of the CNN audience. But is it Vivek? Have you decided it's Vivek, or do you think it's Vivek or Vivek? I don't. Or Vivek. I still don't know. I, I'm just going with Vivek because it's okay. there's an I and then there's an E and I'm assuming they don't sound the same, but I I don't know. Vivek would would be, I think would be two eyes, but as I much as I'm also which, not a financial advisor, I'm also not a linguist. Yeah, which syllable do you <laughs> accentuate or articulate? So he's on CNN and uh, Caitlin Collins asks him to define woke, which is you know in my mind it's kind of a gotcha question. Because it, 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 it's meant to reinforce the binary that you're talking about, where it's either, well, what is woke? Is woke good? Is woke bad? And Vivek, I think, does a pretty good job of sidestepping what she's trying to do, but I think it still feeds into the binary. Hold on. You know, you've been dubbed the CEO of anti-woke. You have written several of these books. You, you've been very vocal of your criticism of what you say is wokeism, woke religion. Can you just define how you, you know, how do you define woke? Yeah, and I'm going to define it in neutral terms, not in critical terms. Being woke refers to becoming alert to invisible societal injustices, generally based on genetically inherited characteristics like race, sex, and sexual orientation, and then being called upon to act on those injustices using whatever potential legally means are necessary, including the market to do it. Uh, by the way, everybody out there should write that answer down and memorize it because that is the best answer. There's a lot of this going around where the media are bringing up the issue of woke. They're pushing it, I think, because of what you're saying. They plan on using woke, they think, to their advantage, and they're going to frame the election in terms of woke. Uh, 
And uh, uh, he, I think, gives the best answer you possibly can give. He gives them the answer that they would agree with. He doesn't give them an angry answer or a defensive answer. He says, yeah, this is what you guys say it is, essentially. That's a neutral definition that even most proponents of wokeism in the United States would agree with. Now, my criticism of this is I think that it's inherently divisive to tell us that we're nothing more than the characteristics we inherit on the day we're born. That divides us on the basis of race and sex and sexual orientation. And then when that merges with capitalism, which is what I've actually been the biggest critic of, what it does is we lose the sanctuary, the apolitical sanctuary in our economy that otherwise brings us together, whether we're black or white, even whether we're Democrat or Republican. That's one of the underappreciated reasons why capitalism has to stay apolitical. And I'm proud to say I've been the leader on leading that fight over the course of the last couple of years and with some progress because I think we're turning the tide where companies are realizing that they're not doing good for themselves or even doing good for society by engaging in these fraught political and social questions. And I think we're beginning to see that change of the tide. He's so good at owning the speaking time. You hear, you hear Caitlin at the end. Uh, uh, she's trying to get in. She sounds like a, like a fish flopping around at low tide. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like he went to the Ben Shapiro school of speaking very fast. He has a lot to say. And I think, but I think it's a, it's a good strategy when you're, when you're doing an appearance like this. You, it's your time. Own it. Otherwise, you're letting them control the narrative. He's there to get his narrative out. Uh, but then Caitlin does something... You know, and I clip this just because it's so dishonest what she did. It's not that big a deal, but it is dishonest. She has the, she asked him about wokeness, right? And and now that I now that I have it, and like I said, I I clipped it just because I thought this was a a bit of a petty thing for her to do, but I think it actually validates what you're talking about, where they are planning on making wokeness work for them. Is this your platform? Would you argue because? You know, when people talk about inflation and what they're paying at the grocery store, do you really think that is the message that appeals to voters right now? Now, think about that for a second. Okay, the thing that bugged me was she's the one that asked him about wokeness. He answers the question and then she says, well, I mean, is that what you're going to run on? Yeah, it's right. what you asked me about, lady. I mean, that's. It, it, I just thought that was, that was kind of kooky. But then I was also blown away because... Think about what she's saying. She's saying, do you really think you can just run on anti-wokeness when there's all this inflation? So the the same people that created the inflation are now going to say you're out of touch because you're not running on it? They are going to attempt to make wokeness work for them. It's working for them. Well, so far it is. Uh, and, and and everyone who's against it thinks that it that it isn't, but I think it may be. Well, I've been I, that's that's the message I've been advancing for the last three years. But now we're taking this to the next level and running for the presidency. We're actually running to actually deliver unity to the country. It's much bigger than that. One of the core aspects of my platform is actually unleashing the American economy itself. There's this false debate, even within the GOP, between spending cuts or between raising taxes between Democrats and Republicans. I think we have forgotten the biggest ingredient to actually deliver us from our problems. That is GDP growth itself. Now, he does sound like he's trying to break free of that particular binary. The problem with talking about wokeness and the reason wokeness is a dialectical attack is as long as we're talking about wokeness and calling it wokeness and not calling it Marxist and Marxism, then we're playing in their narrative space. And as long as we do that, the the 
ball keeps moving in that direction, even though we're on an opposing side of it. We're not talking about the real issue there is that we're looking at a, a transition, you know, or a push to a stronger form of Marxism. How right you are. My next clip totally backs that up. This is NBC's Meet the Press, where Maria Kumar gives a full-throated defense of wokeness as a badge of honor while talking about Ron DeSantis's lack of likability that uh, Chuck Todd says, you, you really can't get a beer with him. <laughs> Chuck Todd, would you want to get a beer with Chuck Todd? <laughs> I don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even want to be in the same brewery with Chuck Todd. I don't even want to be in the same bathroom at the same bar with Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd. Are you going to have a beer with Chuck Todd, Jeremy? Or maybe a non-alcoholic one. You would have a non-alcoholic. You would have a beverage with Chuck Todd. What are you going to talk about? Are you kidding? I would take a selfie with him. I would have a non-alcoholic beer with him. I would. Definitely. Guys, Chuck Todd. Yeah, but that's all good would, for you. But what are you what are you gonna talk about, Jeremy? Whatever he wants to talk about, I'm willing to learn and record. It, it is I, I hate to bring that up. He doesn't pass the beer test, DeSantis, right? <laughs> he just doesn't, right? The you know, George W. Bush, you know, and people used to make fun of that, but that to some people that matters. By the way, he's right. He doesn't pass the beer test and it does matter. Absolutely. Well, and it's also about likability. I think one of the reasons, and that's what we're getting at, but you know, oftentimes people say that DeSantis is a strong opponent to the Democrats because he is where woke goes to die. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that he doesn't realize is that woke is what got Americans ACA. Mm -hmm. Woke is what basically wants to make sure that people have that have gay marriage. Woke mm -hmm. is what gives women agency over their bodies. Woke is making sure that a child is in their classroom. It's not a fearful that they're going to lose their life. And that is actually a juxtaposed to what the majority of Americans actually want. Sounds like you think Democrats should retake woke Absolutely. fight for it rather than then sort of ignore the attacks right i mean corporations actually want woke right they don't want a desantis regulating what they can and cannot say look at what's happening with disney mm -hmm. right now and this is an opportunity for them not only to reclaim it but to recognize that it is actually their strength it is what got joe biden to the white house because it animated not just women but it, mm -hmm. it animated a whole generation of young people did she just say democrats don't want corporations regulating what they can and cannot say she's saying corporations don't want government regulating what they can and cannot say uh okay because it seems like they want corporations regulating what we can and cannot say they do and they want to regulate what corporations can and cannot say <laughs> i don't have it today but uh, uh somebody sent me uh uh, Janice in Arizona sent me a uh, a clip of uh, a, a a video put out by Vote Vets that is uh, an anti-Trump news on U.S. bases video. It advocates to cancel Trump uh, Fox News on on U.S. bases. So they're but looking yeah, to sounded... cancel. They're looking to you know, anyone who doesn't you know. And by the way, they don't actually want to cancel anything. It's just the war. They want to keep that Fox war going. Fox is yeah, evil. Right. Fox is evil. No, and and I think you're right. That woke thing, and that's a good clip because it it tells you they're not they're not gonna run away <laughs> from woke. They're gonna brand woke is woke is gonna be there. It's gonna be a big shiny object for them to hang on to, and they're gonna pump it up and talk about how great woke is and every great thing that ever happened in this country was woke and 
probably everybody on the right is going to say woke is bad and we're not going to be talking about the big march to Marxism that we've been on and are staying on in this country. And we will all pay the price. But before you pay the price and before your money is worthless, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Back to the investment advice. That's right. Invest invest in the Truth Bait Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Truth Bait Podcast is brought to you not by any ads. You might have noticed we don't have any ads running on this program. It is brought to you by the Value for Value model. Value for Value, where if you find value in this program, we hope that you return value to the program. And there are a number of different ways that you can do that. And these ways make you not only active listeners, but they make you producers of this podcast. One of the ways that you can return value is by reaching out to us, truth at truthbait.com. Give us feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. You can also give us story ideas. This is, like I said, like I just said, uh, Janice in Arizona sent this video. I don't, I didn't see it until early this morning and didn't have time to prep it, but we're going to prep it for an upcoming program uh, uh, about this video that VoteVets put out uh, attacking Fox News. We're going to, we're going to deliver some truth on that subject. And the way that that works is that's one of our producers writing us and saying, hey, I'd like to see something about that. And because you are actually a producer of the program, you're going to get a segment based on that. That is one of the ways that you can give back value. And another way that you can give back value, boy, it takes a lot to put on a podcast like this. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And we really are just two guys uh, getting this uh, done uh, almost entirely uh, on our own right now. Uh, actually, we're, we're two, two guys and uh, Jeremy's wife, who is, who is really doing some heavy lifting for us. But we need help. We need help with things like show art, with... Uh, things like uh, transcripts with items like oh chaptering our shows we you know we produce the show it takes us a long time to produce the show it's not just the time that we're recording we then have to prep the show we put it up and it is uh, it, to then go in and do chapters chapters are critical we would love to have chapters so far Jeremy and I have not had time to go in and do the chaptering maybe you're that producer who wants to spend a little bit of time a little bit of your time and your talent giving back to the podcast. If you want to help, write us at truth at truthbait.com. Tell us what you're capable of. Tell us what you can do. Let us know how we can improve and maybe you can do it and you'll become an executive producer of the program if you can do that. And Jeremy, what is the other way that people can give? Uh, I would say one, and people have been doing it, but we need a lot more of it. And that is sharing the show. Um, We had uh, last Friday, we had our biggest episode, our most shared and most downloaded episode that we've produced thus far, which was uh, very exciting. Uh, That's so that the same was crowd that was applauding for me at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that, that was episode uh, six. This is episode seven. But our numbers were looking very good. However, in the podcast realm, lots of podcasts don't get a lot of numbers and uh we still need to get those numbers up even though we're doing really well compared with others we really want to build a community and so if if you know somebody or have a few friends who like 
these types of conversations that we're having talking about these topics the the media narratives the narrative warfare uh that's going on propaganda um because i think that's really even though we're talking a lot about political issues that's the viewpoints uh that we're focusing on and the lens that we're looking at things through uh it's you know we're not a news show to talk about news issues it's really more like what is the news trying to do to program you and and can we you know build ourselves some uh shields of protection in uh give us better perspectives or, or all of us to figure out what perspectives and ways in which we should be looking at these. I guarantee things. what people have been hearing on this program today is different from what they've been hearing on other programs. And that's, uh, that's feedback I've been getting from people. Uh, that's feedback we've been receiving that, it you know, that, Oh, I didn't look at it that way before. And if we're doing that and, helping people to see things that way then i we know that you know somebody else that is probably interested in in at least hearing these different perspectives and looking at things in different ways so the probably the biggest thing that you could still do right now is sharing the show and rating the show if you like it if you don't like it don't rate the show but if you like it <laughs> <laughs> if they don't like it it's an hour and nine minutes in they're gone already <laughs> okay if you don't like it but you like us then maybe you could write a positive review anyways oh, but feel otherwise free to, to to follow the program in multiple applications follow it in apple follow it in spotify definitely, follow it in tune tune in that helps right definitely listen to it in different places rate it in different places as we're getting things going right now all of those numbers are going to help and especially when you send it to somebody or share it with somebody and want them to you know i've I've told people in, in previous episodes, send it to people you know will like it. Send it to everybody you have an email address for. But if there's somebody you really think is going to like it, tell them why you think they're going to like it. Because think of how many times you get sent a link to something that you don't actually click on. But when somebody takes the time to tell you why you should click on it or why you think they would like it, usually you're more apt to you know, take the step and find the time to listen to it. Especially people see, oh, this is a two-hour show or whatever. I don't have time to listen to that right now. Well, we know yeah, it's a long it's not show. not a two-hour show today, baby. You can, you can go, you can, you can stop and pick up again and listen later. <laughs> so, you know, we just want to make sure that we're getting, you know, covering all the things what we want to cover that we think people are going to find interesting and uh, by all means, sit down and digest it in a couple of sittings. And the other way that you can give that we're hoping that by episode 10, we'll actually have a way for you to do it is with cold hard cash. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is not free and easy to do. So uh, when we are ready, hopefully uh, our listeners will be ready to help even in some small way to offset our costs. It costs money to license the different sounds that you're hearing, the different music that you're hearing. It takes, it costs money to have a microphone, to have the board that we work on, to, to use the software. All of these things take money. And not only that, this is a full-time job for Jeremy and I. We air twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays, every single week without fail. To the best of our ability. But 
it is a full-time job to produce those two shows, nearly a full-time job. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's a little bit more than a full-time job. Occasionally, it threatens to almost be a slightly less than a full-time job, but pretty much it's a full-time job for two guys. And we are doing this because we're passionate. We're doing this because people need to open their eyes and begin to see the narratives that they're being uh, being fed and learn that uh, that there's a different way to look at these narratives. You'll eventually, you won't need us anymore. You'll still listen to us because you love us, but you won't need us to recognize the truth among the propaganda that you are being fed. And that is why we are truth bait. At very least, you will recognize the lies. <laughs> That's right. Well, do you want to you hear about some of the, we have some listener feedback from episode six. Absolutely. I have some constructive feedback, some constructive criticism, and some praise. Let's start with uh, Mama, Mama Bear Bev in Florida. Mama Bear. Good show, guys. I think you missed the real outrage of J6. Imprisonment of Americans in violation of Sixth Amendment of our Constitution, among other rights guaranteed, including innocent until proven guilty. The peeling away of our rights guaranteed by the enormous sacrifice of our forefathers is agenda-driven. By who? What's the end game? Let's get to the bottom of it. It's nauseating. I think she's absolutely right. We did not focus on that part of it. Uh, we were, uh, you know, really had our heads, uh, you know, aimed at what Tucker was was doing, what he had going on, and in fact. Dare I say, is it possible that we were all distracted from that, the most important issue, by what Tucker has done? Well, I can appreciate Bev's uh, concern, but I think that we did point that out and that the entire point of the segment was actually to show that Tucker and the Republicans were completely ignoring those facts and the rights being stripped away. Um, yeah, but even you pointed out that in regards to these January 6th prisoners, that really what what ended up being focused on, we focused on it, the whole world is focused on it, is uh, uh, the uh, the shaman, the ones, the January 6th shaman, you know his name, right? You have it? You have his name? Yeah, you know his J- name? Uh, Jacob Chansley. Right. And in a way that takes the spotlight of, off of everybody else that is languishing in prison right now all the other political prisoners yeah i guess the point of the story was really to show that tucker's rollout of that story and the coordination uh with mike with uh kevin mccarthy was designed in a way that would distract from those facts which i do think we pointed out and that was the whole point of it was to demoralize everybody and it sounds like bev might have been demoralized it's possible we just did not get the point across. I would say to Mama Bear Bev, we will keep our eyes open and be mindful of that issue as we cover that topic. Because I agree with you. I, that's probably the most important topic of the entire thing. What they've really and gotten I, out of this is normalizing for people the idea that you can do this, that you can just lock yeah. people up. I mean, that's uh, the and Constitution I do agree that it's a, I do agree that it's an issue that needs more coverage. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll just tip my hat to Jim Hoft of Gateway Pundit, who I think has really been the leader in any media, mainstream or alternative, uh, really bringing and sustaining attention to those uh, uh, political prisoners. Absolutely. No question about that. Cruise director Barb brought in. Or Cruise director Barb wrote in. 
40 minutes in, and what stands out was Jeremy's comment that there's something to see here, but you're still not seeing it. It's like Tucker goes right up to the line, but won't cross it. And you know, and you know or think he has the info. But a catch-22 is he goes all the way. If he goes all the way, he's thrown off the air. So I'm hoping he showed enough that the rest of the J6 videos make the light of day. So what she's really saying is, you know, maybe the goal isn't for him to expose the whole thing. It's for him to expose enough that everybody else demands more, which kind of jives with what I was saying that that what McCarthy was doing by giving it just to Tucker is making everybody else demand more. I would say that's a fair point. And in fact, I noticed over the weekend there were some headlines coming out that McCarthy announced that he does intend to release the footage to other media outlets slowly, uh, slowly, uh, in a more controlled manner, I guess. And that to me reaffirmed my opinion to begin with, rather than the, the hope that Barb has there. Um, and I think that's that by going with Tucker the way that he did and letting Tucker, you know, there was all that big build up, and, you know, it's just like, you know, a helium balloon with flat, you know, ran out of helium and is sinking now. It's kind of over. And I think that no, that he set the tone, he set the narrative. And no matter where it goes from there, um, in, unless it actually gets in the hand of citizen journalists and, you know, non legacy media, maybe we'll find some things there. Uh, but I'm, I'm not holding out hope for it. Right. And I have to say, I've, I've noticed among people that I've spoken to who are uh, firmly ensconced on the left, the, the, the narrative talking point was set because of Tucker. Tucker's a liar. They're trying to cover up the fact that there was this violent incident at the insert, this violent insurrection. It's now become the right is trying to act like nothing was violent. Of course, there was violence. And you, and yeah, it, you actually picked up on that very early on. That was, I think, your first complaint. Uh, yeah, about what and Tucker in, was doing. In fact, I think that McCarthy announcing like a second release of all of the footage it's it's like another piece of red meat dangling like that still mm-hmm. gives Barb hope, right? And right. you still well, have now this... it's just a distraction from the banking collapse, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I do think that that it's a it's a valid way to look at it, but um, I'm not holding out hope for it. I hope. Barb's right, and I'm wrong. Well, thank you, Cruise Director Barb, for writing in. And uh, my last one is Big DNAZ. You ready, Jeremy? Oh, Big D again? Big DNAZ. Jeremy's Man of the People hit was not fair. Tucker has definitely talked about the disconnect from all the people who who he grew up around. He doesn't run from the history. Tucker has given amazing interviews, including recent Glenn Beck, on his background. Jeremy, we have that. Well, that's that's I think that's enough. Hey, I think. Oh, and he loves the show. Okay, thank you, Big D. (laughs) Um, I well, I think he loved me. (laughs) (laughs) I think, in fact, here I'm really loved your contribution to the show. Most of the comments I've seen seem to praise you. Oh. Let's. Why am I talking? Let's get to your comments. Uh, not fair. I don't know if it's not fair. I think the, and I, I think I even sort of 
defended Tucker in that interview, but I, I, I just wanted to put it out there uh, to get people thinking. And I, I think Tucker, my view of Tucker is he does a very good job reporting and commenting on stories that a lot of people want to hear. But my opinion of Tucker and Fox News is that Tucker is allowed to report on those things that he is allowed to report on. And Fox News has an interest in allowing that to happen so that they can maintain an audience and maintain Everybody's tuning in. Is Fox going to let him say something tonight? Is he going to be able to say something tonight? What's he going to say tonight? It feeds it all. Right. But you get, when you get down to it, Fox is still feeding a narrative to the viewers on many different subjects, many different narratives, on many different topics and subjects and issues. And those come through Tucker the same way they come through the other hosts on Fox News that program us into thinking certain ways. I, Whatever Tucker is reporting that Big D likes to hear and all those great interviews and things that he does, I'm not saying he doesn't ever do that, but those are things that he's allowed to do. And, and, and that's the way that, that we should view it. Is well, the let, way me, let, me give, let me give some advice to Big D, all right? And then we got to get your, to your comments. We don't have to do 20 minutes on every single comment, all right? Okay. Here's, here is what I would advise him to do. Big D and everybody, turn off all cable news. Turn off Fox. Turn off Tucker, even if you love him. Turn it all off. My friend, it is propaganda, and it is narrative pornography, that's it, it. Is, it is rotting you. You do well not need said. it. We will watch what is important for you, and we will bring it to you. <laughs> no, Fox but, but send and us- Tucker will make you dumber. This <laughs> bait will make you less. Slightly so. less. Slightly <laughs> less. We're right on their heels. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to point it out. We just want to point out what's happening. All right, what if have you, you got? What, that, who wrote it's an you? Advantage. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've, you got all the mail coming oh, to your email address. I so. thought that you had some feedback. People praising. Oh no, me. no, I, we had I, people praising me, and now you're bailing out of it. I no, that was. Let's go the, back to criticism the, of you. Hang on. No, that was a couple <laughs> episodes. I was just trying to be nice to you, and build your ego. <laughs> you're not getting any comments about me. <laughs> Well, thank you for every thank you to everybody who wrote in. Uh, we do appreciate it. The criticism, especially, I know Jeremy likes a spoonful of sugar with his medicine. I love the medicine; it makes us better. No, uh, I I think that's and I like it. I don't. Maybe other people could actually comment on if they like hearing that because I think it's a cool part of the show. I think it's cool to be able to respond and have a little bit of a conversation i think it's interesting what other people are thinking so as long as it's not you know boring to people i think it's a it's a great way for people to participate and engage in in these ideas and conversations and it 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 helps us to touch off on you know kick off on something else that we were talking about previously and sometimes other things happen since you hear that episode and there's you know that gives us an opportunity to go back to it like 
for instance, bringing up the Kevin McCarthy thing, there was basically an update to the story that I wasn't bringing to talk about today, but we all got updated on that story because of the comments. So That's right. I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's a great way to contribute to the show. And why you should not turn off or uh, turn down the volume when we get to this part of the podcast, because there is valuable information included. Um, I wanted to real quick talk about, and we are in... Uh, the serious risk of completing the show under two hours, which I am very excited about. Uh, let's talk about, do you know about South by Southwest? Do you know what that is? It's like a big film festival or something. Well, you know, it started out as a film festival and now it's just a gigantic uh, gather. It's a conference now they call themselves. Uh, so for, for people who aren't familiar with what South by Southwest is, I'm going to read this from their website. South by Southwest, indi- uh, dic- uh, sorry, let me start again. And I'm going to pay attention to what I'm reading this time. Ladies and gentlemen, South by Southwest dedicates itself to helping creative people achieve their goals. (laughs) That sounds really specific. (laughs) Founded in 1987 in Austin, Texas, South by Southwest is best known for its conference and festivals that celebrate the convergence of tech, film, music, education, and culture. A celebration of tech, film, music, and culture. So, of course, they invited Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm as a featured guest and proceeded to praise China on the environment. I want to talk about accountability. We don't know what's going to happen, but with China specifically, right? Um, when we're talking about if it's Wuhan or if it's not, but accountability when it comes to those countries that are doing so much damage mm-hmm. to the world when it comes to climate change. I hate to say it. It's China, and it's also the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we hold China and ourselves accountable for what we're doing around the world? Yeah, I mean, this is a really good point, because what we have been trying to do, what Secretary Kerry has been trying to do as the president's climate envoy, is to get all of these countries to agree to very aggressive targets to be able to make sure that we don't get climate, or global warming happening over, uh, you know, 1.5 degrees. And we, we have, you know, we've raised our hand. We said we want to get to net zero by 2050. We are really pushing other countries to do the same. And no matter what country you're a member of, uh, the countries all are susceptible to pressure, to peer pressure. They don't want to be the outlier. I mean, there's a couple of countries that we know are outliers and don't care. But, but I think China has done, um, has been very sensitive and has actually invested a lot in their solutions uh, to achieve their goals. So we're, we're hopeful that you know, we can all learn from what China is doing, but the amount of money that they're investing in clean energy is actually you know, uh, encouraging. So we're going to hold them accountable by praising them. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I mean, how are creative people's goals advanced by, <laughs> by Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm being there at all? Well, China's going to pay for their movie funding. Right. That's right. How many of those movies are... You're right. That's exactly right. How many of the movies that are being played at South by Southwest had money coming from China? Yeah. They're going to enhance our creative goals or help us achieve them. Hey, maybe we should go. <laughs> we, yeah. We, we should go cover it. We should get a booth there. Yeah. 
We'll see if they help us achieve our creative goals. That's do- oh, okay. One year from now, ladies and gentlemen, that is where we are. That'll be episode f- like 59, I think. Yeah. That sounds like a great great field trip. Did you We hear? are going to take field trips. We're going to be bringing uh, the audience on field trips with us. So that sounds like a good one. Well, and not only field trips, we are going out in the field. We we are already we have our first story that is from out in the field uh, about a gentleman named Harry Waite, and it has to do with uh, absentee ballot fraud in Wisconsin. And that's all I want to say about it right now, but that's just an example. Uh, we don't just sit here and talk about stories. We actually go out and collect news, cover stories, and cover stories that, that aren't being covered correctly in the mainstream and need a little bit of truth brought to the, brought to the narrative. Um, d- did you catch what she did, what they both did? in this in this clip and this by the way is uh this is really really smooth they started talking about what they didn't start out talking about the environment what did they start out talking about jeremy what was it see that's how smooth it was pay attention to this and i don't mean that you i mean everybody pay attention to what happens here i want to talk about accountability we don't know what's going to happen but with China specifically, right? Um, when we're talking about if it's Wuhan or if it's not, but okay. Oh, so we were talking about responsibility, COVID. yeah, and COVID, and yet somehow within the span of sixty seconds, it becomes a comment praising China. That to me was outstanding. That was a good catch. <laughs> Outstanding. And the other reason that I wanted to pull something from South by Southwest, there is a lesson for everybody out there who is not of the left, okay? And 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 I say it that way because this is not just about right, left. This is the left and everybody else. And if you are among the everybody else, take note of South by Southwest. It's, it is a, a model that is an example to learn from. They started out in 1987 as a little film festival, practically an underground film festival. And they grew it into a propaganda behemoth. And it, and it, it proves the point that politics is downstream from culture. They understand it. They created a cultural vehicle by which they are now downloading the narrative to a very dedicated, passionately dedicated audience who feel as connected to South by Southwest as the people who attend Lollapalooza feel about Lollapalooza. It is ingrained in their fabric. It is, it's nostalgic for them, for the people that have been a part of it for, for all these years. The right should take note. And, and in fact, this was what Andrew Breitbart was trying to do. This was his dream. Uh, and he would have done it had he not passed away, had he not been murdered. He, he, uh, he wanted to create what essentially would have been South by Southwest on the West Coast that would have competed with CPAC because he recognized that organizations like CPAC, which is what the uh, what the non-left does, what the right does, is completely bereft of anything having to do with culture. It's all politics and does not work. I agree with that. It seems like the South by Southwest is like a new, it's like a, it's like a cool TED Talks or something, right? It, it that's that is what it is morphing into. 
it, but it, it just is, it's, you know, it's another, it's another flavor. Look, the TED Talks are where people just come for that intellectual dose. This is meant to co-opt a different audience. This is meant to co-opt, uh, and I think it did it. It was the next generation of creatives. That's why in their description, they're yeah. talking about creatives yeah. first. That was Help what they were aiming achieve for. achieve their creative goals. That's right. And now that we've With, got by you. By advancing our political agendas. Well, now that we've cr- helped you achieve your creative goals, you love us. And now we're going to tell you all this other stuff about all these other things. And of course, you're going to be on our side because we're in this together. It's genius, diabolically genius. And people who are not of the left should pay attention. So today we are announcing a new film festival. That's right. The Truth Bait <laughs> Film Festival. Uh, well, we announced it. That's the only plan we have so far. <laughs> and we're going to, the first year, our first, uh, our first installment of the Truth Bait Film Festival will take place at South by Southwest next year. Yes. We will run it parallel we will help some of them achieve their creative goals. We should do that. We should get a booth there and we should advertise our festival at the booth at South by Southwest and it should be taking place simultaneously. Yeah, I like it. All right, people, please donate for to make make that happen for us. <laughs> yeah, we'll need to buy our plane tickets. Plane tickets, booth, hotel, tickets. food, uh, bail, because I'm sure they'll arrest us having alternative thoughts uh do you like crab jeremy do you like seafood they'll love it i love seafood oh well that's gonna put you at odds with your PETA membership is that right <laughs> that's right in uh baltimore baltimore's local affiliate fox 45 has a story about jimmy's famous seafood where owner owner tony uh, Minidakis finds himself at war with PETA. Well, Jimmy's. By the way, you know who PETA is, right? They're the people for ethical treatment of animals. Yeah, aren't they the ones that demand if you did something they don't like that they get to take your animals and slaughter them? They they uh, act on a number of different levels, and yes, that's right. If uh, there was a story about. Um, was one of Jim Hoff's writers at Gateway Pundit, who is a, 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 a monkey fanatic, and uh, she was onto a story about somebody who uh, housed great apes on a private in a private facility, and PETA objected, and they used the government to take the chimpanzees away. Only uh, a lot of times, these uh, animals end up being euthanized anyway, um, which seemed would seem to be worse than the conditions that they were in when they were alive and happy and swinging from vines. So yeah, that's that's PETA, but PETA also is, I think, basically a big shakedown operation. And this this story, I think. Uh, exemplifies it. Of course, you, you know what the what what people uh, who mock PETA what they what they say PETA stands for. People eating tasty animals. That is correct, and that would be everybody at Jimmy's famous seafood. Well, Jimmy's famous seafood has been a long legacy in Baltimore, but there's a little extra beef on that menu as a billboard battle was heating up 
on Baltimore's roadways. Well, PETA has been looking to put them out of business for some time, even bringing religion into this fight. Yeah, I spoke to one of the owners of Jimmy's who's turning up the heat and not just in the kitchen. Tony Menendakis is one of the owners of Jimmy's. It's a blue crab, very tasty. He's been in a fierce food fight with one of his biggest competitors. They have a tendency to, to make food taste what it's not, right? They try to make vegetables look and eat like seafood. That competitor says Jimmy's food choices are not only unhealthy, they say it's also cruel. Their argument for us is to, to, to get some, um, some, some fake meat, I guess, options on our menu. But it's not a rival restaurant making those claims. Behind, behind. It's PETA suggesting menu items from fish-free fillets to mock lobster and no crab cakes. This issue with PETA has been going on for roughly four or five years. PETA even putting up this billboard just a block away from Jimmy's. And the billboard uh, is an image of a fish and a cross, and it says, I never lent you my flesh. Go vegan. And taking a jab <laughs> at religion and the Lenten season. You're technically allowed to eat seafood during Lent. So he's in this war with PETA, and I'm left to ask the question. <laughs> Do you think he is working with PETA for this? Do you think? I, it, yeah, I was going to say, like, we should send everybody down to Jimmy's to get some crab. It sounds like a commercial. It, it absolutely is a commercial. Don't you think this, like, pushes people into a classic binary that is used to market? There, PETA uses it to market. This guy's using it to market. These guys need each other. Listen to, he's doing fine. Tony says business hasn't slowed down for Jimmy's famous seafood. Lump crab meat is just succulent. Thank you, Charlie. By the way, there's a lot of African Americans in this restaurant, and I have to wonder if PETA just hates black people. And he has a message to PETA of his own. If you want to eat vegetables, to each their own. Stop trying to force it down people's throats, right? So, yeah, I just wouldn't be at all surprised. That's kind of how things together. went with. Uh, that's kind of how things were with Chick Fil A back in the day. When uh, when there was a big marketing campaign against Chick Fil A, and that was the taste like hate campaign, because it was a Christian owner of that corporation, right? And it was a I don't remember the I don't even remember all the details, but basically they were smeared as like a an anti gay organization because the owner. Dan Cathy used to uh, donate money to, I think, some sort of group that gave counsel to people uh, who wanted to go through conversion, conversion. therapy. Right. You from- can only convert your your gender. You can't <laughs> you can't convert anything else, Jeremy. Right. <laughs> so so. Anyways, but I I remember that, and actually we were down there. I was down there a few times covering the protests in Chicago. There were huge protest demonstrations against Chick Fil A, and there were huge lines to get Chick Fil A. Yes, when yeah, that this is, happened, yeah, you you couldn't get near the door to get in to buy Chick Fil A. It was the best marketing ever. This is divide and conquer. They both win. They divide huge, us, and they both win. 
marketing campaign. So why would the but why would they want to be helping Chick Fil A then? You know, because you they ask. raise a ton of money off of it. They organize yeah. off of it. They've got a lot to gain. Everybody gains in this, and everybody, all of us, we get played. So this we sounds kind of like the same. This sounds a little bit like the same thing on a local level. But that's like a whole reverse psychology thing because if that's kind of what PETA is doing, it's sort of like. If you want people to stop buying guns and ammo, you know, when you have like the best gun and ammo marketing campaign you get is when you have somebody like Joe Biden in office. Absolutely. That's right. He's moving more guns and ammo than anybody. So. You know, there's, but there is one other possibility and that is, and I, I dug into this a little bit. Um, can you can you imagine that PETA has people donating to them who manufacture the food that they're trying to get placed into this restaurant and others? So are they really, is this just a shakedown on behalf of PETA's corporate sponsors? That's usually how it shakes out. But I think it's more cynical than that because they, they're basically, they're, or the, you know, they're not even paying PETA to get their product into the restaurant. They're happy if that happens, but really what they're doing is just paying PETA to drum up the publicity on the issue. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Nice people. Can I tell you what is amazing, Jeremy? We did it. Sure. We did it. Not yet. Not yet. I have breaking oh, news. I have breaking, breaking news. news. Ladies Clean and gentlemen. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up on aisle seven. Uh-oh. Uh, what did we spill? The SEC and DOJ will investigate Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. So your theory there at the end about the cover-up uh, I wonder if there's something to that. Read the headline to me again. SEC and DOJ will investigate Silicon Valley's Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. That is a cover-up. Which <laughs> means... Wow. Clean up on aisle seven. We need to clean up on aisle seven. <laughs> I love that voice. That is fantastic. That is brilliant. Uh, yeah, and that was sent by an active listener that I'm married to. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Only one. <laughs> that would be active listener Anne. And oh. she, yeah, she just sent me that story. That's fabulous. She wow. often sends me stories while we're recording. And Is I'm she like, hearing okay. what we're talking about? Does no, she, she, no, we're not. Rec we're not broadcasting live. She's in. She's not even at this location. She's at a different secret location. Oh, that is serendipity. But I think she sends me things like thinking, like, oh, she's trying to help, give us stuff to talk about, whatever. And like, I'm always like. Ignore, ignore, ignore. We already got enough stuff to talk about. We can't make the show two and a half hours again. But this one, she did a good job, I think, because oh. it fit right into your hypothesis that we just talked about a little while ago. And it's kind of like, you don't even need to know what they're investigating. You know they're likely coming in to bury the evidence. Absolutely. Here, hold on a second. I'm going to get, I'm going to get your wife's hat for her. Hang on. Okay. I hope this fits. Tell her welcome to the club. 
Wow. So she is the first citizen uh, sponsor, producer, to join the Tinfoil Hat Club. That is right. Congratulations. Well, she is she is one of our top executive producers. She's been doing show art for us. She's been helping us with descriptions. She sends us tons of content. I find I find extremely valuable. I uh, I'm not married to her, so I don't ignore the things that she sends me. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I, I I hope she keeps it coming. Keep it coming. And she tells me everything wise that I say. So anything you hear from me that makes any sense. Well, I should stop ignoring you then. Came from her first. (laughs) The other things are probably thoughts of my own. (laughs) All right, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, in under an hour and 45, this is a record for us. Jeremy, I want to thank you. Your analysis of the bank failure was brilliant. And I want to thank Mama Bear Bev in Florida, Cruise Director Barb, Big D in AZ, and Jeremy's wife. We cannot do this without you. We need all of our producers, and we really are grateful that you are communicating with us and letting us know what you want. Turn off Fox News, Big D. Turn it all off. Cut the cord. And tune in to Truth Bait Podcast every single Tuesday and Friday without fail. To the very best of our ability. And now, back to the sea of clickbait with you all. 